0: when I first began my journey of faith, but when I got to university, um, there were very many questions then that had to be faced. And some of you may remember of a guy, he used to be with Billy Graham, but he was a pop star in Britain called Cliff Richard. Mm -hmm. And he sang at one point a song which I found particularly meaningful, and that sent me off on a journey of intentional discipleship, and the song he sang was this, God, if you're real, be real to me. Mm. And
1: um, the Lord was very gracious in granting mm. that request. Wow, that's fantastic. That's wonderful. Um, I'm always amazed at the variety of ways that God reaches us and, and the different ages we are when our journeys begin. And that's, that's a great. Mm. Just one other question, just a, a small one. What brings you the greatest joy?
0: Well, in worship, when we all know the the songs or when we're learning the songs and we're truly praising the Lord, that is just totally fantastic to see people coming from all sorts of backgrounds, coming to Christ, having their lives changed, discipling them. We have some fantastic times in Bible studies. And of course, Mother Nature out there, which God has created, is um, totally awesome. But the most important thing of all is knowing the manifest presence of God in Jesus Christ.
1: Mm. Wow, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, yeah, hallelujah, what a savior. That was great. That's one of those ones you just want to just sing at the top of your lungs, don't you? Yeah. Well, I do anyway. Sorry. (laughs) We have a couple of uh, brief announcements here as we uh, just want to highlight a few things. We have a senior's lunch coming on the 14th of November. That is not this Thursday, but a week Thursday. And there is a sign-up sheet in the foyer. So just wanted to just remind you, if you haven't signed up, please let us know so we can make sure we have... Uh, special food. We have uh, special music. I, I got a sneak peek or preview about what we might be doing there. We're not going to tell you much about it, but we're going to have some special music that Sunday, uh, that Thursday. But uh, yeah, so if you're available that day, please uh, sign up in the foyer. Uh, our shoebox is Operation Christmas Child. is We have two more weeks. The last Sunday for collection will be the 17th. So if you want to bring your shoeboxes and bring them up here, we're piling up. That pile is growing, and it's really kind of cool to see because we know that a lot of the kids that get these shoeboxes, that's not the end of it. They actually are offered a follow-up course to learn about the Lord that we follow and, uh, they, and many of the kids that get these shoeboxes end up learning about Jesus and, and becoming followers of his. And that's the, the beauty of the program. And we help kids who need things. So, yeah, if you haven't done a shoebox yet, by all means. If you, and if you can't, they, well, actually, you can, you can sponsor shoeboxes if you just see, um, see Judy after the service. She can tell you how you can do that by going onto the website and going to Operation Christmas Child and, and taking care of that. A couple of things uh, coming up. They're in the program, and there's a lot of prayer requests here, Um, so we want to just take care of them um, as through your week. But what I'd like to do now is uh, we've been trying to just invite a a sort of a a, a few people to come up and 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 sort of to get to know everybody. You know, you see people in their familiar faces, but you may not know anything about them. So sometimes we've had some leaders come up, and sometimes we've had some. um, Well, folks that might be a little bit newer to the church. And so what I'd like to do is ask Tony if he would mind coming up. And uh, welcome, Tony. And everybody say, hi, Tony. (laughs) So so come on up. Um, We have a couple of, uh, I don't know if I want to have you all the way up here on this, the sacred ground. That's not real. I'm just (laughs) kidding. It's not really sacred ground. It's just a platform where two or three are gathered. That's Mm -hmm. the sacred ground. Right. So, you can hold this or I can hold it for you. Now, you're, you know your way around a mic, don't you? He's not saying a thing. You're going to be a tough interview, aren't you? <laughs> no, this is Tony Smith. Just want to say welcome. Tony, and just, uh, just a few questions. Where did, where did you grow up? Where did you grow up and, and, and what was your early family life like? Well, I grew up in the highlands of Scotland on the
0: northwest coast. So, it was great to be living in the midst of the heather and the mountains and the sea wow. and all of that. And in those days, I used to think, wow, can you imagine that people went all the way over to the Rockies of Canada? <laughs> wow. I couldn't get my head around that. I thought it was a
1: bit like the Promised Land. Oh. Well, we kind of like it here, but I've been in the highlands too and it's just so beautiful. Mm. We saw it, in the, actually, we saw it when the gorse was blooming before the heather came. That's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, other question, what, what did you do or do you do for a living? Well, I try to praise
0: the Lord, and I try to follow him as a disciple, and I've been involved in a bunch of things. In Switzerland, I took care of garbage and cleaning trains, and um, I've been a pastor, and a lecturer and a newspaper reporter and wow. a grave digger.
1: <laughs> <laughs> interesting. That's a very interesting uh, palette of experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but one that I always love to ask people, and I really like to know: When did Jesus become real to you?
0: When I was 11 years old, I think it was thereabouts, and the challenge to me was. And it was from Revelation chapter 3, and um, that was just, as it were, applied to my life, that I should um, surrender to the Lord Jesus, and not just allow him to have access to one room in my life, but all the rooms mm-hmm. were to be open to him. Mm-hmm. So that's...
1: Wow. Okay. Now, he Tony's probably told you enough that now you want to talk to him after and have coffee and say, tell me a little more about one of those details. That's wonderful. Yeah. I want to have a, a time of uh, a prayer together now uh, before we turn our attention to the, the, the sermon. Um, it was a year ago, no, it was two years ago this week that Abbotsford City uh, had a, a really tough time when one of our uh, constables was shot. And Lord, we, uh, and we, we realized that the, the city has healed, has grown, but it reminded me that we did a lot of praying for the families then and for the, the, the officers, the first responders, that uh, part of our mandate is to pray for our city. So this morning, I'd like us just to focus some of our attention on some of the things that we want to pray that we'll see a huge difference in our city. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we praise you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here today. You are the mighty God. You are the king. You are the Lord of all. And hallelujah, what a savior. We praise you and we worship you. And Lord, even though many in our city may not know you may not confess you we want to pray this morning that you would glorify yourself in abbotsford we need your renewal we need your redemption we pray lord for our our city that your the gospel would be boldly proclaimed in all our churches that our churches would be places of hope and healing for broken people, for people who feel unwanted, people who are hurting. We pray that people will come to understand that you, Jesus, are the only remedy for the very thing we cannot do. We cannot make ourselves better. We cannot save ourselves. You're the only remedy. We pray that, Lord, that that would become reality in our city, Not even that the reality that Paul wrote to the Roman church in chapter 8 would be seen in us. Because that's where you said, Lord, we are more than conquerors through you who love us. That neither death or life, angels or rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height or depth or anything else in all creation can separate us from your love in Jesus. Can separate us from your love in Jesus Christ our Lord. And to this end, we pray. We pray your comfort on those who are grieving the loss of loved ones this week, especially as we remember Constable John Davidson from a couple of years ago. We pray pray your comfort and, and healing for those who are recovering from illness or surgery. And we pray this reality, Lord, that our hope would be found in you and you alone. And that this hope would produce boldness in our lives to tell others about you, Jesus. We pray, Lord, as you, in your sample prayer to the apostles, to the disciples said, we pray that your will be done. You said your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to pray, Lord, your will be done in Abbotsford as it is in heaven. And Holy Spirit, for that to happen... We need you to weed out the sin in our lives that keeps us from living a life on mission. Open We pray for opportunities for us, Lord, to bring your presence to people in our own community, in our own neighborhoods. But we pray, Lord, that people would stand in awe before you in our city. And we pray that your love, your justice, and your mercy would be made known here in Abbotsford, That we might not experience your wrath, but experience your love and your acceptance and your forgiveness. For it is found in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hmm. I guess I was thinking about uh, what we were going to be doing in the sermon today a lot when I thought about that. Because the sermon today... Is one of the hmm? Well, they're all important, but some of them are more somber than others. Some of them are more serious than others. It seems. I, I can't. But be, before, be, and we're going to get there. But I thought I, I, I did come across something else that I wanted to tell you a little bit about. It was a quiz I found the other day called "The Easiest Quiz in the World." How many of you ever heard of the easiest quiz in the world? Well. I hadn't until the other day, so I decided I'd take it. It was online, of course. Then the first question it asked me was, how long did the Hundred Years' War last? Uh, And I I thought, this is easy, this is a no-brainer, a hundred years. But the answer was actually 116 years. Why didn't they call it the 116 Years' War? I don't know. Anyway, the second one was, what, which country makes Panama hats? <laughs> it's not Panama. They're made in Ecuador. <laughs> I don't know. Um, now, okay, so then I thought, okay, I guess they're all trick questions. They're sort of like some little catch. Next question was, how long did the Thirty Years' War in Central Europe last? And it actually only lasted 30 years turned out that was the correct answer. Well, so maybe it wasn't the easiest quiz in the world, but in the end, in the end actually, I got half of them wrong. <laughs> some of them were easy to answer, some a little more difficult. But here's another really good question. What is the difference between the Passover meal and the Lord's Supper? This one isn't a trick question. Because we're going to answer it this morning. Please. Um, you know, Jesus and his disciples, um, they ate together on the night before he went to the cross. And it was the Passover meal. But he redefined it for them. And you could say, it, in One, I suppose you could say it was the new Passover meal, but you could also describe the Passover meal as the Old Testament Lord's Supper. So let, let's pray as we begin. Lord, help us to understand the difference here. Help us to understand the difference it makes in us and our lives and a proper understanding of of you. For it's you we're here for. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Uh, we're going to be uh, starting right at verse 12. And uh, a little background here, as you'll see on your handout, is that the background of this, of course, is that the Passover... Uh, was described in, in chapter 12 of Exodus. Um, the Lord, and that was Israel's release, Israel's rescue from slavery in Egypt. The Lord instructed them to observe this annually, to commemorate it, to honor the Lord for the generations to come. And that was the instructions in 12 and then in 13. And they even, he even said, We want it to be done on the 15th day of the first month of the Jewish calendar. That Nisan, I think it's called, and that's the, somewhere between March and April on our calendar. So Passover was a day, and Passover was a special meal. But before we get any farther, let's just read the first part of chapter, uh, from verse 12, the first five verses here. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, When it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparation for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. So it's a day and it's a special meal. And, and on the eve of Passover, the, on the day, the heads of the households would bring lambs to the temple where the priests would sacrifice them, sprinkle some of the blood against the base of the offer, altar, and offer the fat on the altar. The worshippers would then take the sacrificed lamb home, or take it somewhere in the city to cook and eat with the rest of the Passover meal. But it would always start with coming from the temple. Now, in a city that we talked about last week, a city that was around 60,000 people that swelled to between up to maybe 300,000 during Passover. So there could have been 200 extra people in the city at least, 200,000. Finding a place to eat was going to be like trying to find a restaurant at 6 o'clock in Abbotsford that doesn't have everybody full and all the tables telling you they're going to be a 25-minute wait. It's even worse than that. But the good news is that no one who asked for space to eat a meal was to be turned down. It was a customary thing. If you asked for space to eat a meal, they would accommodate you. And so Jesus sends two of his guys out to look for a man carrying water. This is something that was not done. Men did not carry water. Women carried water. So he would have been easy to spot. Um, And the water bearer was waiting for somebody who would say, the teacher asks, where's my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And so they did what Jesus told them, and the arrangements were made. So then they they gathered together to have the Passover meal. And there was a, a number of elements to the meal. The first, of course, being the lamb. The lamb. And the lamb was to remind them of lamb, the lamb sacrificed for their firstborn on that first Passover coming out of Egypt. It reminded them of what God had done in that first night when they were still slaves. That, that fateful night in Egypt, each Jewish family slaughtered a lamb, dabbed its blood on the sides and the tops of the door frames of their houses. And when God struck down the firstborn of the Lamb, he passed over all the houses marked with the blood of the lamb. None of Israel's firstborn died if they were in that house under that blood. And so the lamb was the main focus. But there were other elements. The meal also included bitter herbs, which was to sy- symbolic and to remind them of their bitter, harsh life in Egypt. They, they also ate uh, unleavened bread, bread that hadn't risen, didn't have any yeast in it, to remind them of how, of, uh, how fast they had to get out of town, their hurried exit. Uh, there had been no time to add yeast to the dough and wait for the bread to rise to, and then bake it. Later tradition added a bowl of salt water to the feast, which was to remind them of the tears that they shed under those oppressive conditions that they lived under. But Passover was also a meal of thanks, and, and they would sing happy songs, known, in our, known as the Hallel songs, uh, in our Psalm 113 to 118 in our, in our psalms, if you want to have a look. Those were the songs that they would sing on their way up to the temple to worship. Uh, Psalm 114 actually begins with, with a reminder, when Israel came out of Egypt... And then goes on and describes what happened. So that was, it was thanks. And the order of the meal was set, but it included at least three cups of wine. It had set prayers that were always the same, but it had times of praise as well. And it finished, of course, with prayers of thanks. Just before the main part of the meal the head of the house would take two pieces of that unleavened bread. He would give thanks. He would break one and he would lay it across the unbroken one. And then everyone would eat. And it was a celebration. It wasn't just all somber. Well, what was the significance? We have talked about some of the elements, but what why was this so important that they observed it every year? They were supposed to observe it every year. Well, first of all, it celebrated their birth as God's people. God had chosen them and had brought them out of Egypt. It celebrated the birth of God's people. It was a time, as we've already talked, to remember being delivered by God, to remember deliverance, because he, he brought his people out from under the slavery and the oppression of Egypt. Egypt. It's associated, of course, with God's covenant that he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. It's the old covenant, is what we call it. God chose this people, not because they were wonderful or amazing or anything, but he just chose these people, Israel, as his. And he brought them out of Egypt, and he said, I will put you into a land of promise. And in his covenant, he said, I will bless you. And they covenanted as part of that to observe all God's laws and regulations. That was the arrangement. The, at the end, of actually, there was a, a series of blessings for following and a, blessing, a series of cursings for not. That You can look up in, in the uh, first five books. You can find it there. So Passover was primarily, though, it was, it was first of all, a look backward to the exodus, from Egypt but it was also a look forward to God's salvation when the Messiah would come to rescue his people again and boy were they waiting for Messiah to come and so every time they would have the meal it would be with a sense of anticipation could it be this year? Wow! Now You'd think this would be a great time of joy for the disciples, along with everyone else, wouldn't you? You'd think that? But it wasn't, because Jesus had just finished telling them that he's going to die. And, and, and Mary had come in and anointed him, poured expensive perfume on his head, and he told them that was to prepare for his burial. And so these these guys have mixed emotions. Um, We're celebrating, Lord. Because they know that they're supposed to be glad to be together to celebrate, but they also know that Jesus is going to die, and that puts a bit of a damper on things. But Jesus drops a bombshell on them. Let's just read a little farther, verse 18. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will, re- will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened. And one by one they said to him, Surely you don't mean me. It's one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So the first prediction that Jesus makes, betrayal. Tells him right out, he's going to be betrayed. One of you will betray me. One of my closest friends is going to give me over to the people who want to take my life. That's what he was telling them. They can hardly believe their ears. I mean, it's almost unthinkable. They had been together for three years. Jesus had loved these men. John's account of this meal tells us that before the meal, Jesus had taken off his outer garment, wrapped a towel around his waist, washed this fellow's, these men's feet as a demonstration of his love and how they were to treat one another. And, and here they are eating together. Uh, you know, today, if you eat with somebody, yeah, we don't think much about it. But in Jesus' culture, sharing a meal had far greater significance Eating together was a sign of peace, of trust, of forgiveness, and of community. To betray someone who had just given you his bread was a horrendous thing. It just wasn't done. And, and Jesus knows his betrayers in that room. And it's one of those people dipping bread into the bowl with him. Why, why didn't he blow the whistle on Judas? He knows it's Judas. Why didn't, he, why didn't he rat him out? Why didn't he just name him? I think it might be because he wanted to give him One last opportunity to repent, to turn around, uh, uh, change his mind, and turn around and continue to follow. I mean, that would be keeping in with Jesus' character because God is the God of the second chance and the third chance and the fourth chance and the fifth chance and so on. Because he will accept everyone who turns from sin and to him and seeks his forgiveness. But Jesus doesn't do that. So in the shock, all of the guys look at each other and kind of go, yeah, maybe looking at each other, surely it, it isn't me, Lord. They're expecting a negative answer from Jesus, but not getting one. He doesn't actually even respond to them. But, but Judas doesn't turn back. He goes straight from the shared meal to the priest's. Let's carry on. Verse 22. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So while they're eating, Jesus takes the bread, gives his thanks, and he's following the order of the Passover. But then he does something usual, unusual. This bread... This is my body. This is what will happen to me. And later in the Passover, he lists the, the third cup of, uh, uh, the, which was known as the cup of redemption. And he praised the blessing over it and then. and I notice this significant, because we don't know exactly when Judas left, but it says, "After they all drink from it. He said, this is my blood poured out for the many. Now that is is a horrific thing for them to contemplate because they were told specifically not to partake of blood. The blood was always poured out of an animal before it was cooked. The idea of eating blood or drinking blood would have been horrific to them. But this is also what it represents from the Seder, the supper that they had. And he takes those two familiar elements and then he adds a new understanding. He says, friends, this is me. This is me. This is a new covenant between you and God. And then it hits them. He's really going to die. Never again are they going to eat this meal without remembering Jesus. And it's forever etched in their memories. There's one other element common to both the Passover and the Lord's Supper, and that, of course, is the lamb. The blood of the sacrificed lamb was what delivered the Israelites from death in Egypt because it was put on the doorposts with hyssop. When John the Baptist first saw Jesus walking toward him as John was baptizing in the water, he looked and he shouted, he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God. Jesus became the sacrifice lamb for my sin, for your sin. His body was broken on the cross, his blood was shed to pay for the sins of the world, mine included yours included. So, what then is the significance of observing the Lord's Supper? What does it mean to us? Well, like the Passover, uh, uh, it celebrates the birth of God's people. (laughs) It reminds us that anyone who trusts Jesus' sacrifice for forgiveness of sin, receives him as the Lord of their life, is born into God's family. Amen. Amen. Yeah. But, did Jesus, Jesus did, but Jesus did what animal sacrifice could never do. The once-for-all sacrifice of the Lamb of God paid for all sin. He replaced the sacrificial system in the same way the Lord's Supper replaces the Passover meal for the Christian. Our, our salvation is no longer represented by the blood of animals. It comes through Jesus. Our sins aren't atoned for by sacrifices or, or penance or good works because Jesus has paid them full at the cross. The debt has been paid. That's what we remember. And what we remember is our debt being paid, our redemption. The word to redeem is a word that can be translated to buy back. It's to pay what is owed on something. In this case, the debt of sin that we owe. And so the Lord's Supper then becomes the picture of the new covenant between God and humanity. It's the same, but a little different, much different. It's a backward look, but not to the exodus, but to the cross where the sacrifice was made. It's an upward look because Jesus rose from the grave and he's alive at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And it's still a forward look because it reminds us that God's kingdom was established by Jesus' death and resurrection. And we look forward to being with Jesus for all eternity. We also look forward to Jesus' return. But one other thing. Look around. Look around. What do you see? Look, look around. What do you see? People community. You've been brought, I've been brought into community. The Bible is clear that this is a very special community. It describes us as the body of Christ. We're the church. We stand as one because in Jesus we are one. The Lord's Supper portrays Jesus' sacrifice for us. At the top of your handout, I think I put the the phrase, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The kingdom of God came to us in those hours after that one last meal these fellows had together. So the meal got finished, they all left Jerusalem, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. Most of the story we're going to pick up From there next week. But we're going to read another four verses or five verses here because this was the second shock they got, which was the second prediction or prophecy that Jesus gave them, which was denial. Verse 27 You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, Even if all fall away, I will not. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Today, yeah, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, and he's looking at Peter, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the others said the sa- all the others said the same. What a shock when Jesus told them, all of you are going to fall away, even Peter. All of you. In fact, when the guards come, he, he basically is saying to them, you're going to bail out faster than the prodigal son's friends when the money ran out. And he quote the quote he, he gives them there is actually from the prophet Zechariah, and in uh, Zechariah 13, where he says, "And I had it right, and I had it marked and I lost my place. Oh no "Awake sword against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me." declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Oh my goodness. So yeah, pretty much verbatim gives him that quote. Now he says that God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Israel was expecting the Messiah to come and scatter the nations that were oppressing them. Not for the Messiah to be struck. They were expecting the conqueror. And so, how do they take the news? No way! No way, Lord! No way we'll leave you. And Peter, I love it, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Translation, even if these guys leave you, Lord, I won't. And he throws his fellow apostles under the bus. (laughs) Now, this bears some thought. Up until this, these three years, they've been with Jesus. And Jesus is the truth. He told them that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He has only told them truth for three years. And yet here they are rejecting the truth. He just gave them. They refuse to accept it. Now, I can understand that from an emotional standpoint. It must just be incomprehensible to them. Incomprehensible to them that they could That they could fall away and be scandalized by Jesus, but they will, and they do, and the one who 's most adamant he 's going not going to fall falls the hardest Peter kind of fits with his personality. You know, Peter was pretty confident in his own abilities he 's the one who, in, in a fit of bravado, even when they came into the uh, the garden to arrest jesus. Uh, struck and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant during that time, during that arrest. And yet, here he was, later found cowering in the shadows, denying that he even knew Jesus. So Peter vastly overestimates his courage. And he also underestimates greatly his weakness. But that is the human condition. That's us. We overestimate Our ability to walk with God, we underestimate our need for Jesus. Any of us is capable of being a Judas. Any of us is capable of being a Peter. Question Did Judas leave before or after the bread and the cup were shared? I think in our minds, we're kind of hoping and we'd like it to be that he left before. But we really don't know. Because sometimes Judas has emerged from communities of faith. Now, we have, a, I know we talked about this before, but we have this distinct advantage over these original men. Because we know how things turn out. And so when we read it, we read these things into it. Well, we already know the ending, so yeah, oh, isn't this cool? Watch how this works. But they didn't. They wouldn't understand it at all until the third day when Jesus rose from the dead. And even then, it took some convincing for some of them. One, he, Jesus had to appear to one and say, Look at my hands. Put your hand into my side. It's me. Then he was convinced. Sometimes I think I'm that guy. Jesus, he, Jesus went ahead of them and he told them he was going to go into Galilee and meet them on a lakeshore and have another meal with them. And then he had a, they had a breakfast together on the lakeshore. I wonder which meal they remembered better. I don't know. Anyway, there's some things we can take away from here. Many things actually, but... You know, a lot of our, our, our modern focus, and th- this is a problem because we, we've kind of grown up in this, this culture, this atmosphere. Our modern focus is on the need to embrace faith personally and our individual need for forgiveness and our individual repentance. And those are, those are all true and necessary. I'm not saying they're not. But coming into a relationship with Jesus means becoming part of a believing community too. Saving faith and biblical community were not separate in the early church. Neither was optional. To be saved in the New Testament is to be joined as the people of God. The power of the Lord's Supper is found in remembering this is our community. That's why it's called communion. We have communion with God, And we have communion with each other. Communion is community in that sense, because it's what it reminds us of that we're not a social club. We aren't just a gathering of friends. We're bonded together in Jesus. And so we also, though, have to be careful to recognize our weakness apart from that community. This is not an individual sport, it's not a sport. It's not an individual activity. He created us for community. Together we are strong. Together we can accomplish more than we can accomplish as individuals. A- apart from Jesus, we can do nothing of eternal value. And he made that quite clear. Apart from each other, we're weak because God has called us into this community. He's brought us together. If, if you need convincing on that point, go, to, go through the New Testament especially and look up all the phrases. If you have a concordance or if you can go on to a Bible app, look up the phrases one another or each other and see how they all apply. They're all talking about the idea of community. There's, there's lots of them. Remembers Of one another. Together we can encourage and build each other up. Together we can care for one another. And I think that's why Paul wrote to uh, the church at Rome in chapter 13 don't let any debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. The continuing debt. Do you know what speaks the loudest to our neighbors who don't know Jesus? The way we treat each other. If you love Jesus, love the community of faith, the church, because we're family. And we, we have a pattern in our church, a, a, a pattern of observing the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month. And that's good. And Paul encouraged that church at Corinth to examine themselves as they prepared to observe these things. I respectfully suggest that in examining ourselves, we ought to perhaps examine our relation to the community of faith. Do we have community together? Are we connected here? Ask God to shine His light into, uh, His Spirit into your life, and show you if there's anything he'd like changed. And then agree with God and ask God to begin changing those things and enjoy this incredible fellowship of the community of God. And so this week, that's the take home, is to see what we do to build community together as we, as Abbotsford Baptist Church, live out our faith in front of people who need that gospel message. Yeah. We're going to now turn our attention to The substance of today's sermon. It's fresh in our minds. But um, as the men come forward to help with this, the the servers, let's prepare our hearts as we remember him. Let's just take a few moments to uh, spend some time in, in prayer as we remember this. Mm. Yeah. And so these elements that we have um, were given to us by the Lord as one of the two ordinances or things that he ordained that we should do regularly. One was baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The other was to observe this as we remember backward to the cross as we remember forward to his return, as we remember his abiding presence with us. And so he took those common elements, the bread and that cup of redemption, lifted them to heaven and gave thanks for them, then distributed them, then they ate together. So we're going to do that. I'd just like uh, ask Abe if he would give thanks for this first symbol, which is re- representing the bread.
0: Father, thank you for your gift of life represented by this bread. Mm -hmm. And we accept your gift with gratitude. Thank you for your death for us so that we could have forgiveness and life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Amen. Yeah, serve God's people. mm mm-hmm. And so, as we just finished reading in this part of Mark, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Let's take it together. then he took the cup, which was, as we mentioned, the cup, known as the cup of redemption. And he gave thanks for it. He said, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. I asked Roger if he would give thanks for this symbol. Father, we thank you today for this new and living way that has been opened up for us through your shed blood, Lord Jesus. Bless us as we receive this cup now in remembrance of your sacrifice. May the grace of Jesus Christ be experienced in all of our lives, in Jesus' name, amen. And he took the cup and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is the my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. We do this in remembrance of him. For as one of the other gospel accounts says, for as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Thank you, gentlemen. We have uh, one other thing we do as tradition here on Lord's Supper Sundays. We receive a second offering for our community, our, our member, our community care, uh, a benevolence offering. So we would ask if the ushers could come and do that while the uh, worship team comes forward for one final song.